Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Jill Bennett sitting in for Simi Sarah. Well, looking at the fashion industry and Chinese e-commerce giant Shine has joined forces with Forever 21 for what is being described as a very dynamic partnership. Uh, Shine will feature Forever 21's trendy clothing accessories, beauty items on its platform, while also looking into the possibility of setting up retail spots with, in, um, within Forever 21 stores. So what does this mean for the fashion industry and more specifically sustainable fashion? Joining us is Natasha Radcliffe-Thomas, Professor of Marketing and Sustainable Business at the British School of Fashion, GCU London. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. What what does this mean as far as I know it, it was looked at as kind of an unlikely partnership, but what do you see this meaning when it comes to fashion and sustainable fashion? Yeah, I mean, I think if I answer the first bit of the question first, for fashion, I can see that this is like a fast fashion marriage made in heaven. Shein is the largest fashion company in the world with the highest sales. It was valued at US $100 billion last year. But they are at the moment operating solely online. So they're an online um, you know, fashion retailer. They sell through an app and they're really successful in that way. But they're looking to get into retail and they're looking to get into you know, actual our fashion stores. And that's why they're partnering with Forever 21, who in the past were an extremely successful kind of retailer that we had in shopping malls, you know, all over North America, for example. So for fashion, I can see it makes sense. Shein has fabulous um, technology behind it. A lot of their market intelligence is driven by the AI. The founder was actually a specialist in search engine optimization. So it's one of those fashion companies that's really taken, you know, reading the algorithms and catching the trends and pumping out lots of product. But therein lies the problem for sustainability because they their business model is reliant on huge volumes pumped out. They add between two to 10,000 different styles every day to their site and they need they're selling at low prices they have a lot of discount and there's a lot of wastage built into the system so we're a lot of the clothes are also not terribly high quality and they're also made of plastics because a you know, your listeners may not be aware, but a lot of the fast fashion fabrics that we're buying, like polyester and acrylics, are basically plastics. So there's a lot of issues um, for sustainability there. Does it talk more then or does it show the demand as well then for, for so-called fast fashion? And like you talked about, I mean, that's an, a, a large amount, two to 10,000 new styles every day. But clearly there must be a market. There must still be a, a lot of people that, that want and want to purchase this cheap fast fashion. Absolutely. And I mean, I think one of the problems with the whole fast fashion model is it relies on that kind of dopamine hit that we get when we see something, we click. And, you know, with the advent of online selling, selling through apps, it's so easy just to see an image, click, it's in the shopping basket, it's being sent to you. 
And for most people, price is a very important piece. So for a lot of people, especially, you know, there's a cost of living crisis for lots of people. There's, we've got used to clothing being so cheap and it seems such a bargain. But therein, again, lies the problem because it becomes like disposable and throwaway. And an interesting thing that's, that's sort of come to light is that, I mean, companies like Shein target the younger consumers. It's the teenagers and the young 20s. And a lot of those young people are really you know, interested in the climate and sustainability, but they don't really necessarily join the dots between how your purchase of a cheap you know, dress for the weekend is connected to a big global supply chain that's pumping out carbon into the atmosphere. And why do you think that in some areas, the connecting those dots seems very, it, it's almost part of it and it seems very obvious where in fashion, like you said, so if you're buying a dress or a shirt for $6, you have to know that it was made uh, somewhere where, where wages are not high. It was made in a very mass marketed kind of way. Why do you think there is kind of that disconnect? I think one of the issues is that so many of us are really remote from manufacture. So we actually, you know, people barely know how to sew a button on. So they can't actually imagine that uh, the, the amount of human labor that goes into making clothing. So that's one thing, I think. And also just over the last 50 or so years with mass industrialization, we've got really used in the developed world to having cheap food and having cheap fashion and just considering some of these things as a kind of right. And so people start to question when a price is high. They don't really do that breaking down in a way that you might, I don't know, with a watch or something, you might just imagine that it, that it costs more that because you can't imagine that you could make it. So I think, it, you know, it's all of those ideas around and of course they're pushed through promotion they're advertising on social media on tiktok instagram facebook all the time so we're having this product pushed at us all the time and humans like novelty we like color we like to dress up and maybe for example in a cost of living crisis you think well i'm going to treat myself to a really cheap dress and not actually think through the consequences and this is what's called a kind of intention behavior gap where we might intend to have sustainable practices and we probably do care about some of these issues around ethical labor and and the environment in one bit of our mind but then we get pulled into these cheap shoes or a great bag or a dress and we just sort of have a fantasy of our what how good our life could be if we only owned those products so it's a really big problem is there also uh, perhaps uh, people thinking well it's okay because when i'm done with it or when it fall breaks apart because we know that the, a lot of these pieces they're not made to last years and years they're made to last maybe one season but is there a, the thought process that it's okay because well i'm going to recycle these textiles and so it's not really that bad Absolutely. And I think there's two things at play there. So one is a lot of, a lot of us think, well, I'll, I'll donate it. So I'll give it to a thrift store and somebody else can and can have the benefit of that. And the other thing, as you alluded to, is the kind of idea of recycling. So with something like a glass bottle or even a plastic bottle, that makes sense. We have systems that can recycle those materials very easily. But with fashion and garments, they're not actually designed to be recycled. And um, it's been shown by organizations like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that actually only around 1% of clothing gets recycled into clothing. So often when we're donating clothes or we're putting clothes in a textile bank, they will actually end up flooding the market in places like Ghana, in places like Chile, and causing massive disruption through 
textile waste pollution and also disrupting local clothing markets. So there are a lot of negative impacts that come at the end of life of clothing. And one of the big problems is that the majority of or around half of clothes that are produced never actually get worn. So the whole business model is designed on pumping out volume, but there isn't actually necessarily the demand for that. We have enough clothes on the planet now that we never need to make any more, to be honest, if we think about it. Uh, so what would you like to see happen? And again, with this merger going ahead, what, what do you think we should be focusing on maybe instead? Well, it's good to see that around the world, different regional and national governments are putting in legislation and putting in higher standards that ask for transparency. And that's a really important concept. Transparency doesn't mean necessarily sustainability, but it means that people tell you and disclose how much they're making, what it's made from, where it's made, how much people are being paid, et cetera. So I think having those kind of um, legislation is a really important thing. But also I think we need to penalize the business models that have so much waste built into them. And we also need to look at responsible marketing and advertising so that we're not kind of, because it isn't, it shouldn't be the consumer's fault. I mean, we should be able to buy clothing without feeling guilty about it. We shouldn't need a degree in biochemistry and human rights law to actually understand the impacts of, of our clothing. So I think there are, a couple of, of suggestions, but also as individuals, we can think we've got secondhand September we have in the UK coming up. Think about shopping in your own wardrobe, um, swapping with friends, buying secondhand clothing, and then looking after the clothing that you do have. Natasha Radcliffe-Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time and expertise on this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Natasha Radcliffe-Thomas, Professor of Marketing and Sustainable Business at the British School of Fashion, GCU, London.